Welcome back to another episode of It Is What It Is podcast. I am your host, Cody Kelly. It is no secret we are living in a new normal. And that's really going to be the focus of today's episode, really dealing with the economic impact uh, from COVID-19, the disruption that it is causing, and just the business community's response. Also getting into uh, some states trying to reopen and what the first phase of reopening looks like. But stay tuned for another episode of It Is What It Is. So... COVID-19 has been the greatest disruptor of life in the last hundred years. And I think that goes without debate. Uh, more than World War II, more than World War World War One, more than the Vietnam War, uh, more than any international conflict, more than any presidential race, more than really almost anything that has happened prior to because this thing has full inclusivity uh, and when there is no limit when all parties are being affected in some way shape or form I think there has to be a proper analysis that is uh, tied to it so I want to first start off by looking at how it is affecting your small business owners your black owned businesses um Ben Popkin goes on to write that many black owned small businesses are having trouble accessing the government's emergency paycheck protection program loans despite a fresh round of CARES Act funding includes sixty million or sixty billion, excuse me, in set asides for minority and other underserved borrowers. The coronavirus loan program executed by the SBA offers up to ten million dollars in loans per customer that can turn into grants that don't have to be repaid if certain rules are followed. The program has been marred uh, by the administrative glitches and controversies. And despite good intentions, the government's emergency relief program has left many feeling behind or left behind. Black business leaders say that the small business programs need to do more to reach the underserved borrowers. Here's what's happening. It's like if it kind of goes like this. If you were already struggling to access capital... If you had pre-existing barriers that was preventing you from from the full flow of economic activity, uh, an extra added layer of of, uh, blockage and obstacles to go through, when you add this element of pure disruption, whatever is administered is going to hit you last because systematically uh basically the channels that you would go through are broken it's a systemic issue so since systemically you are being negatively impacted even when there is a positive relief out there for you it still has to go through the same channel so it's not the the solvent it's not the um the cares act that was administered in the 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 small business relief program it is the institutions in which it has to go through to be matriculated to these organizations because of the policies that are in place and the people who are administrating or executing these policies because it is systemically broken. So for minority owned businesses, for MBEs, they are the last to receive funding. Now, that's funny, and it actually leads me to my next segment, because 
you have companies who don't need this at all, who have access to capital, who are publicly traded, that accessed this fund and tapped it out and then caught public scrutiny. And that's where we're headed. Stay tuned. So to go into the uh, companies that actually access this capital first and fast, uh, Ben continues right. Ben Popkin uh, facing public backlash, government warnings, and private misgivings. More than a dozen companies, big businesses have so far announced that they have returned or intend to return small business relief loans. So the $350 billion of initial funds uh, basically were depleted. And they were depleted because you have publicly traded companies who access the fund. Now, every company has a right to access the fund, especially if they're being negatively impacted uh, by COVID-19. That's not the issue. So being publicly traded doesn't disqualify you. But if you have already access to capital through being publicly traded, so you literally have external offerings, like I can buy into your company and you can use the money that I you know, use to purchase a share of your stock uh, and therefore raise just capital that way. You can issue more shares of stock, which would actually dilute and lower the valuation of the company. But that's another way. But there's there's so many different avenues you can hit. And then being publicly traded, you just have this full brand awareness uh, versus your smaller businesses, your minority businesses, and, and, and WBEs and MBEs uh, that have been really hit hard that do not have access to the same capital, that's the ethical, I think, underlying. It's not that you can't qualify. is that the system has always protected what it is protected and is left behind what it is historically always viewed as less valuable. So take like a company like Aquestive Therapeutics. The valuation of this company, according to the market cap, so market cap, market capitalization, basically their share price times the number of outstanding shares is their public traded values, how much the public's basically asset worth or net worth from that specific time. So they're worth over $139 million, took out a $4.8 million loan. I'm fine with the loan, but I'm not fine that others can't get to the money. Now, they only have 232 employees. So I, you know, I don't know. Uh, their company is a specialty in the pharmaceutical company and maker of Subox One, an opioid addiction treatment. So they could be negatively impacted from this. I'm not doubting the disruption that it's caused for their business, but you already had the access uh, to raise funds. You could have got five million dollars by just issuing out more shares. And and I get it. I mean, this was easier to do. This kept the valuation of the shares at the same price, so it didn't hurt uh, any potential dividend return. So I'm not I'm not mad at the play, but it's it's like it's like um, I don't you know I I'd rather not do this and free up space for other businesses to uh, thrive and survive. Uh, so to go through my traditional norms, because if COVID wasn't happening, how would you raise capital then has to be the question. Uh, so uh, I'm I'm going to tap into the fund. So uh, that's just to me interesting and appalling. Let's take. Um, this is a good one. BK Technologies Corporation, another publicly traded company. Took out a $2.1 million loan. They're valued in their market cap of over $30 million. Now, they're not 
as high uh, as far as valuation. Have they have basically half the employees of the former company that I mentioned uh, at 109. Uh, they're suppliers of two-way radio equipment, but they felt the necessity that for the short haul, two million dollars um, was needed. Now they are returning the money, so I mean it's. I'm not stating that these companies should not have access to this funding. But you have to ensure that every company or, or during this time that every organization has the same access. And when the big boys eat first and there's nothing left on the table for everybody else, that's a problem. Everybody has to have the same allotment of resource. Uh, Valentine Strong market cap uh, valuation at 23.3 mil took out a 3.1 million dollar loan. Castlight Health, health benefits platform provider. So basically an HR solution. They're valued over 108 million dollars. They took out a 10 million dollar loan. Now granted they have over 463 employees. So you're starting to see the trend. The more employees, the bigger the loan. So basically to keep payroll consistent. Cal Amp Corp sellers of equipment assistance uh, for remotely monitored. They're valued at over two hundred eighteen million dollars. Took out a ten million dollar loan. Eight hundred eighty two employees. So that actually aligns uh, with you look at having almost a thousand employees. Energy Services of America Corporation thirty two point eight million dollar valuation. So not valued as high, but they took out a three point three million dollar loan. Full time employees eighty five. So and, and that almost makes me think now they're, I think, being publicly traded at like a dollar a share so that there's revenue. They weren't all, you know, they weren't making revenue to begin with. It seems like there's some operational issues right there. Escalate Incorporated, makers of sporting goods, including the step market evaluation at one hundred seven point two million, took out a five point six million dollar loan over 400 employees. So you keep going down the list. And I know this made headlines, but the Los Angeles Lakers is one of my favorite teams, and definitely I'm rooting. You know, I'm a huge LeBron James fan. Anyone who knows me knows, you know, love LeBron. Uh, the Lakers took out a 4.6 million dollar loan, but the franchise is worth 3.7 billion dollars. So that seems like, because obviously it wouldn't be staff, right? Like. <laughs> I think the lowest paid person on the team it might be I think Dwight Howard I think he's at like a million a year so they probably took that out for your you know uh, basically workers within the Staples Center uh, and just some operational administrative tasks to basically just keep flow uh, but they have returned it uh, but yeah I mean it, it's like it, it just keeps showing that when Something gets initiated, it hits the wrong, I won't say the wrong, but it's like if if you have a bunch of uh, starving individuals and you create this food depository and you have somebody who is fasting, but they're not starving, that's a, that's a difference. Like one is an elected, even if it's not elected, like they've never, you know what I'm saying? Like they're not malnourished, you know? So, um there's just definitely a a need to go into the system to fix this systematically, especially when things are down already. You really have the time to start really correcting a lot of the inefficiencies uh, that are ever present within our government and, and focus on that and use that as the catalyst so that when uh, 
aid is supplied, aid can get to who's hurting the most and the fastest. And that vulnerability can really be the driving force. So Florida was the first state to open up. Uh, partially, no, not Florida, pardon me. Georgia was the first state to open up last Friday. And then this Monday uh, became the official, you know, everything is open. And there has been backlash and obviously negative consequences toward opening up because uh, the virus had not been controlled and subdued. And to the point, the curve had not yielded and flattened. And now you've basically created a spike. Uh, Florida's uh, plans and two parts to open up is open up his beaches. Governor DeSantos is opening up retail shops and elective surgeries at what he's calling a 25% capacity. And I get it. Look, before we, you know, I think opening up right now is an historic mistake. And an utter failure, but I understand the pressure from the economic uh, standpoint for uh, economies of scale. You can only postpone economic activity so long before the system itself collapses. And the only way to effectively prevent that. Uh, is to basically institute uh, what I call social responsible government, right? Not not socialism because that freaks out capitalists, but a social responsible government that basically the government will be the pseudo uh, teacher and mediator between, or not just between, but for all transactions to make sure that it benefits First, the individual, the citizen, the person. Second, the consumer. And then lastly, itself. Uh, so it, it takes the pressure and responsibility, not necessarily like responsibility, but the pressure and the hardship off of families, off of the community. And right now, obviously, that is not the culture of the United States. Uh, <laughs> democratic socialism uh, didn't, you know, even though it's very popular amongst millennials, by, uh, Sanders didn't win, Warren didn't win, right? And, and really more Sanders than Warren. So this mixed market ideology in uh, or capitalism that is faced with the ultimate disruption has really no voice. So the voice that capitalism has to play is, Everybody, let's get back to work. And the problem with that is that you're willing to risk the safety and the longevity of human beings uh, for the dollar. So now there is this ethical uh, conflict and, and warring because you've chose uh, or the system has selected uh, commerce over community. And anytime uh, an intangible good that really amounts to nothing in the grand scheme of thing, uh, things goes before and instead of or in place of something that is truly viable like human life, you will have this tension. Uh, so I, I hear and understand the pressure. I'm sure as a leader, as a political leader, you are responsible to all parties and you do have to create some type of plan of action, good, bad, or the other. 
Uh, but I do hope that Florida, that uh, Florida and Georgia do understand sooner rather than later that as much as it is important to get people back on track, if you don't have a plan for when those tires hit the tracks, the train is going to come off the rails. Uh, so that would be my word of advice. You know, instead of just focusing on the phases, focus on the implementation of community so that when it is appropriate and scientifically viable, not just valuable, but viable, a living thing, something that we can progress on and, and evolve to and from, uh, then you'll be able to have true success. But right now, I, I think opening up uh, is, is rushed. And I think that's the best way to say it. So there is a difference um, between Wall Street and Main Street. Uh, Lucy Bailey goes on to write, Wall Street rallied with the Dow Jones Industrial Average jumping by 600 points. S&P also traded higher uh, by around 3%. NASDAQ gaining 3.5%. California-based biotech company Gilead Services, I used to invest in them, said Wednesday it had positive data from a study on remdesivir, an antiviral treatment conducted by the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Disease. Uh, trading for Gilead was halted in pre-market activity after showing... Uh, that the five-day dosing regimen was effective as a 10-day dose of which bodies or bodes well for production in the drug uh, and the haste which it could be brought to the market. So listen to a great interview with Bill Gates uh, on CNN really talking about this. And he, I think, broke it down uh, just phenomenally. He said the thing with Wall Street is that Wall Street can go up and mainstream can go down. And these two uh, realities can be both true because a lot of times speculation and valuation is based off of projections and earnings uh, that are not a, when I mean real time data. Like if a tech company has reported so much gain, you know, obviously it's not month to month. So you might be reporting the gain uh, and the efficiency improvements uh, from January or February and being the month of April. And you're literally, the stock price is going off of the income, or not the income, but the data that is coming in. So you are literally betting on the past, projecting or hoping for the future return on investment versus what the actual number is. So a lot of times there's not a catch up. And then... Because it is based off of shareholder dividend and rights and and really uh, valuation, the valuation isn't always predicated on what trickles down to Main Street because like anything, uh, it's set up to shower the head first. And what I mean by that, uh, you the company can do well. So take Walmart. It's a blue chip stock. The price of the company can do can go up. The price of the stock can go up. The valuation of the company can go up. The income and revenue of the company can go up. But that doesn't mean the base salary of the stocker, the cashier, you know, 
can you know automatically goes up. They might get incentives, they might get bonuses, they might have some type of you know stipend. There might be something of benefit that might be allocated to them, and if they are in you know the stock purchasing program or whatever benefit that has been set up, but in and of themselves, their pay stays the same because. That money goes to the company, goes to the shareholders. <laughs> so, so if you're not a shareholder, if you're not in that rank, it does you no good. You know, I'm not saying it does you no good. Obviously, in some aspect, it will positively affect you. But there's not this song and dance. You know, they're not dancing to the same beat. So Main Street is taking a hit like no other, and Wall Street is going up because. All programs and really the response from the federal government, the executive branch, has been aimed toward keeping the stock market flowing, keeping this almost digital revenue stream constantly producing. So when you gauge the numbers, they look better than what they are. But if you look at it and you just look at volatility, you look at I think if you did a, 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 a synopsis and an analysis on individuals who have been laid off or have been furloughed, who have filed from unemployment benefits for people who have decided to downsize in their housing, people who decided to not rent. If you look at contractual agreements that have been broken and really uh, spanned it because we're going into May now over the last two months or the last 60 days, and looked at it holistically, you could get a better gauge on the current economic state. I mean, and that's just going doing vendor reviews from you know cable packages being cut off to people you know trading in cars to all of it because that is Main Street. Wall Street can look good because now it is so uh, data driven. So out you know based on algorithms and inputs that you know human capital isn't as tied to it as it once was so may so wall street can look good and is looking good it's getting better now it's not where it was pre covid-19 but it can stay the course and really be something to uh, gloat if you you know from a political standpoint is something that you can point to and speak to but when you really do the analysis you'll see that you know the head of the the and you know and it's not class warfare or anything like that but those who have are increasing in the haves and those who have not or barely was holding on to have something are being really squeezed so you, you you can't accurately, I think, judge the status of the economy um, by uh, the the Dow Jones, <laughs> by the NASDAQ, because unfortunately, it creates a picture that does not tell the whole story. It gives you the highlights of a movie, but like any true fan, anybody that wants to really get into the details and the depths of the character, everybody knows you got to read the book. And the book isn't looking too good. Uh, so I think the focus of the federal government and the state government and your local municipalities, local governments, how can we ensure 
the longevity and the safety of our citizens from all standpoint? How can we ensure that they are able to grow even during a time of non-growth and then create plans toward that? And then when you successfully implement almost a system of, uh, I won't call it socialism, I will call it social responsibility, you can now position so when things do reside back to normal, uh, when there is some sense of uh, normalcy, you can, you know, basically level off. Uh, but now it's about providing that cushion and setting those future initiatives and really having what I call a sociable or a social responsible government. All right, this has been another episode of It Is What It Is podcast. I appreciate you tuning in. I appreciate engaging with you. Yo, hit me up. Uh, connect with me, IG, uh, CVMK33. Let me know your thoughts. You can hit me up on Facebook. I would love to know the content you would like me to share. But until next time, thanks.